0: head. It's a whole new day in our church, not talking about the global church. If you got your Bibles, turn with me today to Luke chapter 21, verse 34. Tonight is part three and part four of our series, The Last Act, what will it take to be a part of God's last day's church, His end time church? We just saw a video of Christians who have been persecuted, children who have lost their faith, for the, lost their lives for the cause of Christ, other children who have lost their parents and fathers, mothers. What have I given up? For the cause of Christ. True stories, church. And it's so easy in America today to decide, well, I'll, I'll attend once a month. I'll pay my tithes without coming. I'll do this. I'll do that. I'll, I'll show up now and again. Maybe I, maybe not. I'll get involved. And yet, all around the world, people are dying for their faith. So many Americans take it for granted, the ability to come to church every week. The thing I think that America faces is so much, I wouldn't say more serious or less serious, it's just different. And that's the lukewarmness that we fight, that we'll lose our faith without even knowing it. It's not about persecution in the sense of someone maybe with a gun Maybe our rights eventually in our country, maybe not. Maybe our church exempt status or whatever that would be, 8% of our budget a year, which wouldn't be much for us, who, all of us who are the richest people on the face of the earth. But what will it take for the church to survive, to overcome? What will it take for specifically us as American Bible Belt Southern, conservative, Louisiana believers to overcome and be God's last days church. We started this series off with two, two lessons. Number one was we talked about the knowledge. Number one, the first thing it takes for the church is the knowledge of Christ. That means to truly, truly know Jesus. Not just, like Paul, Paul said, he, I wanted to know him in the power of, of His resurrection, but also in the fellowship of His suffering. It means to fully know all sides of Jesus, the good and the bad. It means, uh, we talked about that it meant to have a uh, revelation of Jesus, to really know that He is the Son of God, that He, who He is and who He says that He is, He's the revelation of God's love uh, and grace and truth to mankind. He's also it goes on to a relationship with Jesus, that it's not just saying it from a mental standpoint, but truly of my heart, of my time, my talent, my treasure, to have a relationship, just like I can have a relationship with one of you, that it's a, uh, a personable, it's tangible, it's lasting relationship. And then finally, to have a an awe, a reverence for Jesus, a, a fear, a holy fear even, but also this amazing compassionate, exciting, uh, just will to worship Him because I see who He is. That's what it really means to know Jesus. You don't really know Him if you don't want to worship Him. You haven't really had a picture of who Jesus is and what He's done for you. If you don't have a a desire to go after Him and worship, uh, you don't have the same picture I have of Jesus. And the second one we talked about, the second lesson was holiness and what it means to be consecrated or set apart. But it's not just come out of the world and be you separate. It's uh, consecrated and set apart in my heart for the purpose of God. Things that are consecrated and holy have a holy purpose. And it's not just about not sinning. It's about what God has called us to do. And a church that is holy is a church that is on purpose for the mission of God. It's not about how we distinguish ourselves in the separation so much as how we distinguish ourselves for the purpose of the glory of God. I want to be known for what I'm doing for the glory of God, not what I'm against. Not what I, I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't cuss, I don't do all these things, but what am I doing on purpose for the glory of God? That's holiness. And that's what the Last Days Church will be known for, what they're giving in purpose to glory to God. So tonight we're going to talk about two. So you've got your notes. The first one is prayerfulness. Not just pray, but prayerfulness. It's a new verb. Prayerfulness. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18, Paul tells them, After listing the full armor of God, He says, I want you to stand against the schemes of the devil. Put on this belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of the gospel of peace, the shield of faith, helmet of salvation, sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And he ends with this, which is kind of our text that brings tonight together, is with all prayer. Everybody say prayer. Prayer. And petition, pray at all times in the spirit and with this in view, be on the alert. With all, my Bible says, perseverance and petition for all saints. We're going to talk about, he says, with all prayer, pray it always in the Spirit. And be on the alert with perseverance. Prayer and perseverance. That's the two last things. The two, uh, sorry, the third and the fourth things of the last day's church that is required. What is prayerfulness? Or what does it mean to be prayerful. I looked it up. Prayerful means this. It means devout, earnest, or sincere. And simply it means I'm inclined to pray frequently and fervently. I'm inclined to pray frequently and fervently. Prayerful. David said, as a deer pants for the water so my soul longs for you. Anybody been really, really thirsty? (laughs) Really, really thirsty? I know our, our Wednesday night Bible study talked about this. What does it mean to long for God? I, that's what it means to be prayerful. To be uh, a prayerful person is that I, I long to pray. I feel weird. If I, if I miss a day of just like extended prayer time, I know like, uh, you know, you can pray going to your car, you can pray when I'm on the lawnmower, but if I miss a time where I don't get just a block of time to pray, I feel different. I feel weaker. I feel distracted. I actually get upset more. But it's a longing. Elijah prayed it would not rain. It didn't for three and a half years. Daniel continued to pray three times a day, even though he was being persecuted. Anna and Luke, the very beginning of Luke, never left the temple praying and fasting. Paul and Silas prayed at night in the jail. God uh, opened the door. He delivered them. And so Paul is saying pray at all times in the Spirit. In Thessalonians he says pray without ceasing. I love some of these quotes. Martin Luther, he says, To be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. A Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. Prayer is just part of the Christian life. I grew up in church, and uh, I did not have a prayer life. Most Until I was 18, 19, 20, I did not have a prayer life. I had a now-lay-me-down-to-sleep kind of a prayer life, if you can count that. Thank God that he did. But to pray without ceasing. Wesley said, God does nothing except in answer to prayer. George Whitfield, one of the great American revivalists of the Great Awakenings, which was, you should look him up if you don't know what those are, but in college, before he was called... I think he was in Europe at the time. He was prostrate upon his floor many days praying for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Can you imagine? Do we, anybody like praying on your face for many days in your bedroom asking for God to pour out his Spirit? Man, we need some of that in this day. Man, I need some of that in my life. Just, God, I'm not leaving this place until you bless me. You know what Jacob said? I'm not, I'm not letting go until you bless me. And God rewarded that. He got a little hurt in the process, and that's sometimes part of it. We need to get a little bit broken and beaten up with God. But, man, just to be on the floor praying many days. We can't hardly go a whole church service without going to the bathroom. I don't even know how we'd go many days without praying. But prayer doesn't fit us for the greater work. Oswald Chambers says prayer is the greater work. Three things I want to tell you today for prayer. And that is number one, pray with passion. Pray with passion. In Luke chapter 18, Jesus taught about this persistent, nagging widow who found an evil judge. She had a case and she would not let it go. And because she was so persistent in asking this unrighteous man to hear a case and plead justice... He eventually gave in to it, and Jesus parallels that with us. And it's not that God is, uh, is not listening, but God rewards persistence and passion in our prayers. Jesus got, often, uh, got up early often in the wilderness, got up in the morning, while it was still dark, to go pray. In the garden, he said, My soul is deeply grieved and anguished, even to the point of death. He was praying in passion for you and I here today. Think about uh, in the early church. They came together one mind, one accord. They voted themselves to prayer for 10 days. And that's when the Holy Spirit was poured out. They devoted themselves not to potlucks, not to kids programs, not to youth programs. They devoted themselves to pray. Let's hold a prayer meeting. See who shows up on a Tuesday night. I mean, let's just be honest. What do we devote ourselves to more than anything if not to prayer? They devoted themselves to prayer. And that's when the Holy Spirit was poured out. There's a culture shift that we've got to have in our churches, in this, even I'm speaking even to this parish, this region, that we have to have, if we want to see God do something mighty in our schools, in our systems, in our government, in our relationships, in the healings and miracles and deliverances, in drug addiction, in suicide rates, in divorce, all that we've got to be a praying church. We've got to pray more than we've ever prayed, especially in these last days, we've got to be purposed to pray. Pray with passion. Number one, pray with two, alertness. So where you are, Luke chapter 1, verse 34. Jesus said, But take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be weighted down with cares drunkenness, cares of this life, that that day may come upon you unexpectedly. For it was come as a snare to all those who dwell on the face of the whole earth. It will be a snare. It will be something that you're going along your day, and all of a sudden you know, whoops, your feet tripped without underneath you. Oh my gosh, it's the end. I thought I had a few more days. Maybe it would have happened next year. I, I saw the blood moons. I saw the, warm, the warning signs. I saw the wars, the rumors of wars. Yes, I knew it was coming. I knew it was out there somewhere. But I didn't really think it would be like, Oh my gosh, it just happened. He says, Watch therefore and pray. How much? Always. That you may be counted worthy to escape the things that will come to pass and stand before the Son of Man. Watch and pray that phrase has stuck with me for many years watch and pray be alert and pray pray with alertness peter in 1st peter chapter 4 verse 7 he says the end of all things is near man if it was near when he wrote it how much more near is it now therefore be of sound judgment and sober spirit for i love this for the purpose of prayer what does it mean to pray on purpose the New Living Translation says it means to be disciplined and earnest in your prayers. It means that you should have this godly wisdom for the purpose of prayer. That I am, I'm, I'm praying on purpose. I'm not just praying. God, you know, really bless my finances, Father. Um, you know, I'm praying for a good church. Thank you, God, for no. It's saying. Pray on purpose. Be alert. We're praying for God to move. We're praying for souls to be saved, lives to be won. We're praying that we'd advance against the enemy territory, that light would cast out against darkness. We're praying for this person to be saved, that person to be saved. We're praying for this marriage to be healed, that person to be touched. We're praying for students to be changed and radically disciple for Jesus. We're praying with passion, and we're praying with on alertness of the purpose of the day that we lived in, and it's got to be more now. Than ever before, Jesus illustrated this in the garden. In this time, he talked about that the disciples were sleeping as he was praying. And this this passage is so awesome in the fact that it alludes to I think exactly where the end time church is. Is that here we have the disciples follow Jesus to the Garden of Gethsemane right before he was about to be arrested. And they thought it was just another stop. Now get this. They knew that Jesus was going to be persecuted. They didn't really understand the whole big picture, but they knew that he was going to be there forever. Sometime he would take over the world or whatever he would do. They didn't understand, though, the full purpose. And so here they have, they are right before he's about to be arrested. They don't understand the day and the time they live in. But here they are with Jesus. Here they have, they're with Jesus, but they don't understand the hour they live in. And so when Judas came, when the soldiers came, it took them by surprise. But they were with Jesus. I think we can be a church that's with Jesus and the day still take us by surprise. Because he says, you're not watching and praying with me. Can't you just pray even one hour? How about we ask ourselves that? Can I pray one hour? Can I even pray one hour? And he says, be alert and pray. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Our flesh is drawn to get tired. It's drawn to get weak. It's drawn to get weary. It's drawn to think about the physical things of the day. What's Rome doing in their day? What's the Sadducees and the Pharisees doing? What's people saying? Where's my food tonight and tomorrow? Where, what, where are we going to go from here to there? God, how, what's the road map? We're going to go to Jerusalem. We're going to go there. We're going to go there. All right, I got this itinerary going on. And, and they're just drawn to the flesh side. And all the while, Jesus is over in the corner up the hill, weeping and sweating drops of blood. And he comes back, he says, you don't even understand the spiritual temperature of the world around you. You can't see right now there's angels and demons fighting all around us that the devil has come to tempt me. An angel had to come and strengthen me. And over here, you're sleeping, but yet you're with me. Be alert and pray always. Number three, pray in the Spirit. This is a very confusing term for a lot of people because they didn't grow up Pentecostal or charismatic or assemblies of God or whatever you want to label ourselves. But it's more than just speaking in tongues. Look in Jude chapter 1, verse 18. There's only one chapter in Jude for those of you who didn't know that. Jude 18. And Jude writes, he says, They were saying to you, In the last time there will be mockers following after their ungodly lusts, and these are the ones who cause division, worldly-minded, devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting anxiously for the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. In the last time, there's going to be a fading away of people who are sensitive to the things of the Holy Spirit. Not only is it going to be that the world can't even comprehend what sin, faith, hope, eternal life. Man, if you go back in uh, 500 years ago, even if, let's go back 150 years ago, people believed in, in supernatural things. It wasn't, they didn't have atheism like we have now where it was, I don't even believe that the supernatural is possible. In Jesus' day, you had to follow a God. You just had to choose which one. Today is a whole new day where the Spirit has even left men so far that men don't even believe there is a God. That's a whole new concept for mankind. People don't understand that. It's a devoid of the Spirit. We can't even recognize that we've been created. We think we created ourselves or we're just some happen chance thing. That's not God. That's, that's unnatural. Even the donkey knew who an angel was in Balaam's case. The donkey knew. What's that say about people? You know what I'm saying? But you pray in the Holy Spirit. In opposition. Man, when the world is so spiritless, we're supposed to be so spiritful. It's supposed to be, and it's going to be harder. As the day draws near, man, it's going to be so much harder. Pray in the Holy Spirit. Pray in the Spirit. It means not to pray with your flesh, but to pray the will of the Holy Spirit. Romans 8.26 talks about it in this way. In the same way the Spirit helps in your weakness when you don't know how to pray as you should, the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Sometimes I pray and I believe the Holy Spirit prays even though I'm not praying. I am sit there in meditation, I believe the Holy Spirit, I'm just searching my heart and the Holy Spirit's working on me. And other times, I pray as much as I can pray in English. And when I have nothing left to say, or don't even know what to say in English, I begin to pray in tongues. Man, it's a beautiful thing to pray in tongues. It's, it's freeing, and it's, 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 it's a, it builds up your spirit on the inside. And also, it's a witness to the world that there's something still supernatural that happens in the church today. We're not just some... Potluck Club or some Elks Lodge or some uh, Mason's Lodge. We're, we are a supernatural organism, the Church of Jesus Christ. And we need to be praying in the Holy Spirit. And it's not something to be scared about or, or, or panicked about or anything like that. Just allow God to grow that in you. And I believe that gift is for any believer who'd so desire it. But it might take you praying to a point where you have total emptiness inside of you and you have no more words to say and then the Holy Spirit begins to say things through you. It, it takes a, a, a place where there, no man, no science, no reasoning can help you understand how to receive the baptism or how to help you pray in tongues. It's just the Spirit, and you've got to get to know the Spirit, not me trying to tell you how to do it. It's not a, it's not a how-to book. It's not a program. It's not an a, a, a idiot's 101 guide to being more godly. It, it's just get to know God and just pray it 'll happen, I promise you it 'll just happen. I love what Charles Finney says. he says the Holy Spirit Charles Finney was a, one of another great revivalists in the Great Awakenings that really was the birthplace of the church uh, in America where the uh, America was just taken over when New England was formed, we have just the East Coast states, and then the states begin to get larger going out west. Great Awakenings were revivals that happened from top to bottom thousands and thousands of people. You'll never hear this in your schools. You'll never hear this uh, in your history classes, but one of the greatest things that ever happened in America was the two great awakenings. And it is, it is a huge event. Huge event. Read it. Read it sometime. Charles Finney is one of these ones who was one of the great preachers of travelers who went to state to state thousands and thousands would drive and, or walk and flocked to hear what God was doing. And he said this in his sermon once said the Holy Spirit enlightens our minds, makes the truth take hold of our souls. He leads us to consider the state of our churches and, consider, uh, and the condition of the sinners around us. The Holy Spirit makes the Christian feel the value of souls and the guilt and danger of sinners in their present condition. The Holy Spirit leads Christians to understand and to apply the promises of Scripture. And the Spirit gives discernment of the times and what to expect from God's provision like a revival in faith, there must be in the church a deeper sense of the need of the spirit of prayer. And this was written, what, 100, 200 years ago. There must be in the church a deeper sense of the need for the spirit of prayer. I believe you look at these words in Jude and James and Peter, and it says... In the last times, in the last days, there will be this, but you pray in the Holy Spirit. In the last times, there'll be ungodly. In the last times... You know who that's written for? You and I. They wrote it 2,000 years ago, but that wasn't the end. If we're the end, these verses have specifically been sealed by the Word of God to withstand persecution, famine, plague, rulers, emperors, to get to you and I today to survive what the Bible calls the last days. And it says, be praying in the Spirit all times on purpose. That's the only way we're going to make it. Amen? Perseverance. The fourth thing... The last day's church must have is perseverance. Think about this video we just saw about these young kids, their families, little brother, 10 years old, died. This is a true story. This just happened. This is, I mean, that's that, we could know that person. I mean, does that sink in? That this is real? That's a real boy? Real family? Real girl? Real dad? Persecution could come and they could never go to church again, but they still do. What is perseverance? It means steady persistence in a course of action. It actually means a purpose. What we just say pray on purpose. Perseverance means to do something with a purpose, a state. It says especially in spite of difficulties, obstacles or discouragement. It means to have a course and set it no matter what. Sometimes that's like men who drive, right? Women. We're going to go this direction no matter what. It doesn't matter what difficulties we come. We're going to get there my way or the highway, right? It's a purpose despite difficulties. Theologically, it means, I love this. One author says, it means in Scripture, is beautiful. It means continuance in a state of grace to the end. That's pretty awesome. Continuing in a state of grace until the very end. Because God's got eternal salvation for me. I'm going to persevere. I'm going to continue to stand in His grace no matter the difficulty because God has purposed me for His glory. Mm. But you can expect, Second Timothy 3.12 says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. Didn't say... Those who desire to live a godly life in Buddha, Muhammad, anybody else? It says, if you desire to be holy, godly in Christ, you should just expect persecution. That's why you know everybody wonders why is it all about the Christians that are being persecuted? It's not about you. Don't see Islamic Muslims going to Buddhists. I mean, you don't see this tension of of taking out the things of Buddha and things or whatever. It is in Christ. It's, 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 it's a spiritual battle being fought today, and it's been prophesied for us to know. And it says, Paul said in this, he said, 1 Corinthians 4, verse 11. He said, To this present hour, I'm both hungry and thirsty, poorly clothed, roughly treated, homeless, but yet we toil. Working with our own hands, we, when we are reviled, we bless. When we are persecuted, we We endure. When we are persecuted, we endure. I am seeing the status of the American church today, and I've talked to pastors all around, and I've been in church my whole life, and I can see, when I was younger, how faithful people attended. And I'm not talking about attendance being the thing that measures our Christianity. Please hear me out. Going to church has nothing to do with our Christianity or our salvation. But a true Christian will want to go to church and be in the fellowship of believers and glorify God in unity. That being aside, you can see a trend in our churches nationwide. From the north where you can't even find a church in the northwest or the northeast anymore that meets in a spirit, very few. Then you find even uh, re- small religious communities like uh, Louisiana, Missouri, Arkansas. You still see it's not quite where it used to be. Anybody older than me remember? Man, Sunday night services were the powerhouse of the church. Amen. They were. I remember it wasn't. It was a usual occurrence for people to be slain in the spirit. I mean, in my church, and we didn't have a we didn't have a charismatic church. We had a normal assemblies of God church. I pick on Miss Evelyn for about charismatics, but freedom of the Holy Spirit. Uh, I remember hearing tongues interpretation quite often. Prophetic words. Last days, church. Last days. It's going to be hard to be in the spirit, but you must persevere. I want to be able to end my life, be like Paul, and say, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith, I endured. Real quick five traits of a persevering believer. Five traits of a persevering believer. Number one, they'll trust in God. They will trust in God. They will trust the person and character of God. They'll trust His divine will. They'll trust His promised plan. And he tell, Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 1.12, This is why I'm suffering here in prison. I'm not ashamed of it, for I know the one in whom I trust. I know what God's plan is. I know that it's not about whether I live or die. I know it, it, all these things. I've endured all kinds of things, but I know the one in whom I trust, and what the, world needs, or the church needs more today of than ever is faith. The word faith means trust. It means truly trusting. I'm not talking about, uh, well, we talk about faith and what I believe. It's actually that I actually trust the person of God. I trust in who he is, his nature, his character, his qualities, uh, his 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 words that's written, but also what I know about him. Number two, what the church will need is the stand on the word. The one is trusting God. Two, stand on the word. He tells Timothy, "Remember from childhood, Second Timothy three twelve through fifteen, you've known the sacred writings, which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith." which is in Jesus Christ. It says, In that day, those who desire to live a godly life will be persecuted. Even imposters, evil men, will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving being deceived themselves. Oh, interesting. They're going to deceive others, but be deceived themselves. But you, however, continue in the things you have learned, and knowing from whom you've learned them. Stand on the word of God. But we need more now. The first thing we need more of is faith. The second thing we need more of is truth. This is the infallible, the inerrant, holy word of God prompted by the Holy Spirit, given to us. We're called to stand on it because it says deception will come, but you must be convinced of the truth. A lot of Christians need to learn how to understand and read this. A lot more Christians have to understand. Your children, please, help them learn how to read this for themselves. Don't rely on a pastor. Don't rely on a Sunday school teacher. We have a great kids program, but don't rely on our kids program to teach your children the word. Or your grandchildren. Or your neighbor's children. Or your cousins. Your sister's children. All these things. Help them. That's our responsibility to say... These are the truths. Let me help you. Here's what I was discouraged with in college is that I was told the truth, raising a good family, good church, but no one taught me how to make sure myself. Because if I just take your word for it, then it could be you. If I see you falter, you see me falter, if you're taking my word for this is what the Bible says and why, you see me falter, you're going to think this wasn't true. You've got to learn how to read this, interpret it, and apply it for yourself. If you don't know how to do that, come to our First Steps Bible Study on Wednesday night. We have a whole class on how to study the Bible, part of our four month series. Number three, walk in discipline is what the church needs. Persevere. you got to trust in God. you got to stand on the Word. You have to learn how to walk in discipline. He tells Timothy, notice these are all often from Timothy, Paul's son of the faith. When Paul knows he's about to die, he's kind of like making his diary, his last memoirs. And he says in 1 Timothy 6:11, "Flee from these things, young man of God, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith, take hold of the eternal life which you were called." Basically saying, "Son, I'm about to die. It's going to take a lot of hard work. I'm leaving. It's going to take some hard work to continue to preach the gospel in a culture of immorality." homosexuality. It's going to take a hard work. When the love of men grow cold and lawlessness abounds, it's going to take some hard work, and you're going to have to learn how to submit yourself to God. You're going to get pulled away. Your flesh is going to be tempted in whole new ways. He says you need to learn how to persevere, walk in discipline. We've got to learn how to live a disciplined life. It means submitting to one another for accountability it means submitting to spiritual authority in our lives. Every single one of us myself included need to have spiritual authority in our lives. It means understanding what Jesus means by the yoke and the burden that we talked about a few Sundays ago. That I've got to submit to God's way and not my it's it's a whole the rebellion is the sin of mankind. It's pride. The Bible says it's even like witchcraft. Rebellion is the sin of divination. And I've got to learn how to submit and it really bothers me when I see so many Christians saying, well, pastor didn't do it like I wanted to be done so I left the church. God's not going to bless that even if I'm wrong. I, I, there's been times in my life where there have been uh, men of God over me who I disagreed with. You know what i got to do? Like David did to Saul. Be quiet and sit down. The Bible says, humble yourself and the Lord will lift you up And one verse says, in due time, sometimes I just have to learn to submit and God will have to work it out. Right? Sometimes there's got to be submission because God knows he can use someone who has a bridled tongue, someone who has a spirit of self-control, which is one of the last fruits of the Holy Spirit. It's got to be a submission to God and say, God, not my way, your way. That's the kind of believer that will persevere. Four is serve the church. One thing we need more now than ever is sacrifice, and I'm not talking about sacrificing of our money. Please, please, please. So easy in America sometimes, and we all will say, "No, you don't have my pocketbook." When you don't make a dollar a day, I watched a video not too long ago where these people in Brazil went there to kind of see the economy and and live on a dollar a day. And at the end of the week, you know what they were so happy to receive? A banana. They took that banana. Beth washed it with me. They were so happy to eat one banana. It was like a party in their house because they ate a banana. But that's not what I'm talking about tonight. Galatians 6, 9 says, Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. So then while we have the opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who are the household of faith. I believe God is calling us to serve one another. You're not going to make it. The church, the early church did not make it on their own. There was no individual Christianity in the early church. They were together continually in one mind and one accord. That's where the Holy Spirit's most glorified when we're in unity, when we look like Christ's whole body. I'm praying for people that every single one of us has a gift, a talent, a, a something that Holy Spirit has put inside of us, from youth to, to uh, senior retired adults. There's something each one of us has been called to do in the church, not just in sanctuary, I'm talking in His kingdom. It could be a gift of generosity. Somebody has a gift of administration. Someone's just very organized, and that's a gift God's given you. Someone can teach. Someone can serve. Someone has the gift of helps. There are so many gifts that Paul doesn't even list list them all, but he he does his best to list three types. Some are spiritual, but some are things that God has put in you from the moment you were born, and it's part of your personality. Some people just like to laugh and smile, have a good personality, because God needs relational people. Some people are more shy and intellectual, and God needs people to do other things like, uh, man, I prize people who want to work behind the scenes. My parents my whole life have shown me that they've been the behind the scenes kind of people, always there to serve and, and help and be the people who come when nobody else wants to come. It's, it's that, that kind of person is what makes the church go around the world. The no names, the people who wipe the tables, the people who take out the trash, the people who don't have a job description or a title, but that is a gift of service that God will reward some more than even pastors. No one is too little in the church. A person who perseveres will serve the church because, number one, when you're together, it's kind of like this. This to be truly honest. If someone is in our church and they only come maybe once a month or once every other month, we don't know whether or not to expect them the next month. And we don't know when they're sick or not sick. We don't know if they've got a job or don't got a job. We don't know if they have marriage problems or what. And it's hard to connect and grow together and say, let me help you bear your burdens. I want to pray with you. I want to be invested in your life. I've got to let people serve me. And I've got to be willing to serve others. I've got to be connected to the body of Christ. And so help me. You are here on a Sunday night. Let's help all these people understand today is the day to plug in to the church. There's so many distractions, so many ball games, so many television programs, so many activities but today, there's got to be, a, a, not in a brown uh, browbeating or convicting, but it's in a joyful thing. We want to be in, see the benefits of being a part of the family of God. You get love. You get someone who notices when you're gone. You get someone who can pray for you and you can trust to, to uh, go through those tough times with you and that we notice. And if we don't notice you, please forgive us. We want to make sure you're truly plugged in. Everybody needs somebody. Number five, look to eternity. One of the things we need now is hope. Revelation 3, verse 10. Look at there real quick. We'll wrap up with this. Revelation chapter 3, verse 10. Five traits of a persevering believer, trust in God, stand on the word, walk in discipline, serve the church. Number five, look to eternity and hope. Jesus says, saying to this church, He says, Because you have kept the word of, my Bible says, my perseverance, I also will keep you from the hour of testing that hour which is about to come upon the whole world to test those who dwell upon the earth. I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have so that no one will take your crown. He who overcomes, I'll make him a pillar in the temple of my God. He will not go out from it anymore, and I will write on him the name of my God, the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem which comes down of heaven. From my God and my new name. Hold on. Keep persevering. Jesus says he's coming. You've kept the word of my perseverance. Jesus endured the cross. Hebrews says for the joy set before him. You and I can endure this world. Because there's a better one waiting. Don't lose hope. One of the things I say in marriage counseling all the time. Uh, there's a great book out there called The Hope-Focused Marriage, or it's a whole Christian counseling motto, The Hope-Focused Marriage. And it's simply this, that if you lose hope, you've already lost. There's nothing moving you forward. You must always have hope. Every relationship, every marriage, but even every believer, we have a blessed hope. Jesus is coming. Hold to the word of perseverance. Amen. Mr. T, would you come back? (coughs) Prayerful Prayerfulness and perseverance. Prayerfulness and perseverance. Will we be a people who is prayerfully aware of the times? Will we get caught off guard by the evil of the day that we live? Or do we maintain a kingdom perspective, awake and not sleeping, not lukewarm, but knowing God's will and His heart for the day? prayerfulness. Perseverance. Do we persevere as the day grows dark? Having faith and not fear, that my courage, my relationship in Christ overcomes all doubt? and that even though others fade away, we remain strong because we've got the hope in Jesus. When others fade away, we remain strong. Just close our eyes and bow our heads and just give this to the Lord tonight. Seek Him on how we should respond. I really do want a lot of this just to settle into our spirits as a whole, as a part of this series. But maybe we need to tonight just uh, commit couple things to God is one to be prayerful that is fervent persistent in our prayers that we are given to pray frequently and fervently passionately with alertness and in the spirit i don't know where your prayer life is right now i know mine could always be better and if i'm part of the last days church i have a heavy responsibility before god and the Bible says that there is a great relay race that's gone on before us. Every, lap, every generation has done its lap. And the baton has been passed to this generation. That means youth, young people, old people, this, whoever is a part of this day, this age of the church. We have a responsibility from Moses to Paul to David to all the great men of old to say they ran their lap we have to be what we are called by God for a purpose to be the last day church. He has that high honor for you. That we're part of the last days church. We have a heavy responsibility church to finish this race and hold fast with perseverance and prayerfulness until Jesus comes. Reaching the world, staying on purpose, knowing Him. We just give that to God. Just, you know, let's just, as Miss T just continues to play softly, just in your own altar with Him right now, just give your life even more to God. Commitment to pray, to stand on the Word, to not lose hope, to serve, to submit to know the truth, committing to reading our word more, committing to praying more, not to do more works, but to know Him. To have all the things, just like an athlete would prepare for the race ahead of him, we've got to train, we've got to be prepared, we've got to be built up on our holy faith. Praying in the Holy Spirit. Maybe some of y'all are barely making it through your own lives, your marriages, your relationships, your jobs, life itself. Right now, just begin to pray. I just, Right now, just, let's just begin to pray and seek God. We don't know what the day holds ahead, but Father, we need more of you. Give strength to those, Father, tonight that are going through hard times, situations. God, that they would persevere. There is hope. There is strength in you. God, you will not give them any more than we can handle, but the testing of our faith produces endurance, God. Help us to endure, to overcome. Heaven is our home, God. We do not give up. Jesus. Jesus. Draw us deeper, O God. Oh, we want to be prayerful. Jesus. Take us deeper, O God. Be alert. Know the hour that we live in. Youth, be alert, youth. Don't just get caught up in the things of being a teenager. Man, those things are great. They're fun. This is all going to fade. Know that you've been chosen and called, even more than these here that are older than you, to be the last days church. It's up to you, more than any, to take this next lap. Even after, if, if God tarries, if Jesus tarries, that baton gets passed to you, youth and kids. It's going to be up to you to reach the world for Jesus. It's a heavenly responsibility. We need to pray. Know the truth. Persevere.